And welcome back to the program. This is Gesundheit with Jacobus. I'm your host, Jacobus Holloway. We are talking with Eric Newhouse from Great Falls, the Great Falls Tribune. And he is a crusading journalist, wrote a fantastic book. We hope you will pick up your copy, Faces of Combat, PTSD and TBI, Traumatic Brain Injury. It looks to me like uh, somebody would love to get in touch with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to get our caller on first, and then we're going to listen to Eric's story, where he would like to share uh, PTSD in Mike Zakia. <laughs> caller, good morning. Your name, please. How can we help you? Why this is Daniel R. Peterson turning Daniel. new leaf. Thank you, I, Daniel. I'm, yeah, I'm going to ask an intelligent question on a new day because you switched over to Saturday on me. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is a healthy psychology uh, maxim that goes like this. The past is past and gone. The future has not happened, and it may not uh, be what you think it's going to be. But the present is a gift, and you might as well unwrap this present and enjoy it today. So the point here is that uh, we uh, experience the past, and... Uh, we really don't have to be at that experience of the past in the now. We were created by our creator as an image of that's perfect in its own unique way. And uh, is part of the treatment of trauma advice on rising above the past, that the past is just a reflection of a state of consciousness that's in the past, no longer our way of seeing things now. Uh, are there uh, psychological treatments of healing that uh, are working on our unconditional love for ourselves so that we can rise above the uh, ghost of this past? Hmm. Interesting question, uh, and there are a couple of answers to it. Um, the first is that while the past is past, it is also um, uh, in our present. Everything that we do changes uh, the way we think, changes the way our brain operates. Uh, that's a, a theory called neuroplasticity, uh, and and basically what that says uh, is that everything that we did in the past affects what we now do in the future, because it affects the way that our brain operates. Um, the second is that there is a, a um, form of therapy which is called mind-body bridging, uh, and it seeks to do exactly what you're saying. Uh, it seeks to um, eliminate the past and to focus on the present. And what that does uh, is it's, it suggests that the combat vet uh, who is lying in bed at night, for instance, uh, reliving the uh, the experiences that he's been, uh, that he's been through, worrying about uh, whether there are terrorists out there uh, lurking in the backyard, wondering uh, how he's going to deal with tomorrow. Instead, focus on uh, on the things that are around him. Uh, perhaps listen to the tick of a clock and uh, concentrate on that reassuring, physical, non-threatening sound. Uh, experience a breeze um, uh, through an open window. Uh, feel the softness of a blanket. Uh, concentrate on on the senses uh, and uh, and live in the present uh, and begin to. Um, eliminate some of those uh, uh, terrors from the past. Uh, and there are people who swear that it works. Yeah. There are others uh, who think it's baloney, uh, but uh, it, it, it has helped a number of people. Yeah. Yeah, you sound like a, a 
person that talks about God, so you think that the power of prayer will kind of consume this misqualified energy that we set out in the past so we can uh, feel more wholesome in in the present? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's what you believe in. Uh, and if you think it works uh, and you're optimistic about it, it probably will. Um, it is definitely, it's definitely a part of uh, of our life, for many people's lives. And I think the military uh, comes across like uh, prayer is definitely part of their of their daily ritual. Yeah, there is just a piece on public radio about there. It's come almost too much. The fundamentalist Christians are really pounding. Their way of uh, looking at prayer, so it's it's kind of like a Christian system rather than a Muslim system from the other side. So we have to be careful we don't go to one extreme or the other. However, yeah. well, it's good comment, Daniel. I All appreciate right, well, that. Good good day. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for calling. Become educated about somebody uh, about something that's going on that has been going on, as Eric mentioned earlier, ever since man has been fighting each other. And so, and, and not just each other, but other traumatic instances in the past that have affected the way we feel and the way we think and the way we react to things happening to us in the present and possibly in the future. Eric, you were talking about the story uh, of Mike, Mike Zakia. Uh, would you please yeah. continue with that? Yeah, Mike Zakia was a uh, uh, lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps uh, and was one of the ones who saw just mm-hmm. tremendous tremendous uh, conflict when he went over to Iraq. Uh, he was in charge of training Iraqi troops, uh, and he told me that he would, um, yeah, there would be a sniper who uh, frequently shot at him from uh, deserted buildings uh, up on a hillside. He would gather, gather the Iraqi troops behind him, and they'd make a, a run up the hill to try and uh, find it and kill this sniper. Yeah. He says uh, the sniper always would uh, run through deserted uh, buildings up there, and he could see the gun flashes um, from in front of him and hear the bullets whizzing uh, past his head. But he said the Iraqi soldiers behind him were also shooting around him, trying to shoot at the sniper. And he said he was convinced he was going to die, but he never knew from which direction the bullet would come, Hmm. whether it would be a shot from behind him, uh, whether somebody would shoot him from the side, or whether the sniper would get him from uh, up front. He told me that... um, they went to uh, Fallujah and fought in uh, the big battle in Fallujah. And he was uh, trying to clear a courtyard. Uh, he had four or five soldiers with him, uh, and they were, uh, well, yeah, they were, uh, uh, I guess, going building to building. And he would uh, go up a stairwell, and never knowing what would be around the corner, uh, if someone was there, he had to kill that person there before that person killed him, uh, and it was just terrifying work. Told me that he was in combat in a uh, uh, in a courtyard. Uh, he looked up and saw uh, three insurgents uh, with a rocket pointed directly at him. Everybody else dove over the wall. He went forward shooting. Uh, they shot the rocket at him. It missed, but hit a rock wall behind him, detonated, uh, and blew apart his shoulder. Uh, the army wanted to fly him back to uh, Germany, airlift him, but he refused. Um, he said, give me some morphine, let me get a night's sleep, uh, bandage me up, and I'll be back in the morning. Hmm. So he came back in the morning with a broken shoulder uh, and let his 
troops um, got Christmas off, and they went home, uh, and a bunch of them uh, were captured and uh, uh, and interrogated and tortured, and then released. Uh, and those uh, that survived came back. And Mike said he had to sit in the um, interrogation room uh, as they uh, debriefed these soldiers on what had happened. And they talked about being beaten, being whipped, being burned, being electrocuted, uh, having body parts cut off, being uh, uh, drilled with uh, electric drills. He said it's just astonishing uh, the number of things that uh, these people did to each other. Uh, And he also said it was like being raped uh, every time one of the the soldiers in his command came up and talked about what had happened to him. Uh, It was just like multiple rape. So when Mike came home, he came home in a different man. Um, he had anger that uh, that would come out of nowhere. Marcy couldn't figure it out. Um, he had memory loss. Um, he could never remember uh, the people that they'd met, uh, the things that they'd done. Uh, he's since been diagnosed with traumatic brain injury, and it's quite probable that uh, the TBI is, has uh, destroyed some of his memory and some of his brain function. Mm. Um, she talked about how, well, he uh, never could stand uh, loud noises, uh, and on the 4th of July would hunker down on a bunker in the basement uh, trying to avoid the fireworks and all the happy merriment that uh, innocent Americans inflict on combat vets, yeah. uh, which just is uh, a sheer trauma for most of them. Uh, but it was the anger that uh, his wife, Marcy, was most worried about. She said, you know... I never could figure out where it was coming from. Uh, he just got this look in his eyes, and all of a sudden, yeah, I'd try to flee. And he, uh, she remembers once uh, seeing that look come into his eyes. She dove for the bathroom. Uh, managed to get the door shut and locked. Uh, it was a stout wooden door, and he beat on it for a while. But he couldn't, uh, couldn't break into it. Uh, and for the next half hour, 40 minutes, she listened as... Uh, all the furniture in the living room was methodically destroyed. Wow. Uh, he splintered every chair, busted every uh, table, um, you know, shattered all the pictures, uh, and left a mound of rubble in front of the uh, bathroom door where his wife was cowering. Wow. Now, finally, uh, he kind of came to his senses and realized that uh, he'd gone over the top and he needed to make amends, so he went off to a florist shop to see if he could get some flowers for his wife. It was just before 5 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, the florist was closing at 5 o'clock, and uh, the clerk didn't want to sell him any flowers. Mike grabbed some flowers and said, I want these. And she said, we're closing. He said, I want these, threw a $20 bill at her. She threw the change back at him, and he caught it in his left hand and grabbed her around the throat uh, with his right hand, was pressing her up against the wall and choking the life out of her when he suddenly realized what he was doing uh, and ran out of the florist store with uh, with the flowers for his wife. Now, I submit to you, what's wrong with this picture? Uh, a Marine Corps lieutenant colonel uh, with problems like these. Um, combat does terrible things to human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, what a story. What a story! Yeah, and that, is, and that is one of them. That is that is one uh, just in Mike's life. Um, how long ago was this, Eric? How how is he doing now? He seems to be doing better. Uh, 
money to go out and get private therapy, and we're doing that. He's getting better, but uh, she said uh, if we had to rely on the VA and wait for appointments uh, and just uh, you know get what the government has to offer, uh, yeah, he probably would be around the bend by now. I don't think that we have, as a nation, have thought about PTSD when we started, uh, when somebody in Washington decided to start a war or get involved in a war, an existing war, uh, that yeah. we were thinking about the ramifications that it would have on uh, on society. I'm sure that that's uh, the case. In fact, I think that just as a rough general rule for every dollar that we put into the war machine, we ought to put a dollar into the recovery machine to help the kids who come home. Yes. Uh, and that ought to be just a general rule where we ought to budget that up front in, in advance. You know, in the old days, if you wanted to start a war with uh, somebody else, you would always walk in front and everybody else would be following you. And if uh, the leader would get killed, war was over. Now now we, it's all it's all uh, orchestrated from, uh, from the capital. And uh, we sent kids to war who barely able to tie their own shoes. Yeah, it's a terrible thing that we've done. Uh, we're uh, we are really taking our, our well, and that's another thing that yeah, that is mystifying to me. Back during Vietnam, uh, there was a draft, and it threatened everyone equally, and everybody was involved. Today, that's no longer the case, uh, and the administration has made it a point not to make it the case because they know how uh, how dangerous it is to uh, to be trying to draft uh, the sons and daughters of uh, doctors and lawyers and, and, and such. Uh, so instead, we're relying on mercenaries, uh, but we are also um, pulling from two other resources. One of them uh, is the poverty draft. We're drafting uh, kids who come out of poverty who think that uh, the money that they make in the Army is going to be the best money that they'll ever make. Yeah. And uh, these are kids who tend to come uh, out of the lowest echelons. They tend to have seen the most violence in their lives anyway. They come out, tend to come from the most crime-ridden uh, sections of town. And they tend to be the kids uh, who probably have suffered the most trauma already in their adolescent life before they hit the military. Yeah. The yeah. second group that we're drafting is the most patriotic. Uh, they are the sons and daughters uh, of our former warriors, uh, and military service has been a tradition in their lives, uh, and their dads probably are Vietnam vets, uh, many of whom have uh, suffered PTSD and continue to, to uh, suffer from it. Uh, there's probably PTSD running through their households, uh, and they may be um, secondary victims of post-traumatic stress disorder uh, that they got from their dad growing up. Wow. Uh, and so the kids that we're sending in uh, uh, into battle, I, I submit, tend to be those who are most at risk for PTSD anyway. You're listening to the voice of Eric Newhouse, a crusading journalist from the Great from Great Falls, working for the Great Falls Tribune, also a professor at the Great Falls University in journalism and English, and he has written a new book. It's called Faces of Combat, PTSD and TBI, One Journalist's Crusade to Improve Treatment for Our Veterans, to Improve Treatment for Our Veterans. It's available at Barnes & Noble at uh, Amazon.com. 
And uh, by all means, go check his website, ericnewhouse.com. And then look at, uh, read already the first chapter of the book, download it, read it, whatever you like to do, but get involved. We appreciate that. Uh, Caller, good morning. Thank you for joining this morning. What is your name? How can we help you? Good morning, Jacobus. This is Vinny. Hello, uh, Vinny. Good I morning. I got a little comment about yeah. modern wars and how they've changed since World War II. Mm-hmm. It seems these wars that we fight since World War II have been, they haven't been designed to be won. They've been designed to be fought in a prolonged fashion. Uh, the war we're in now is the longest war in U.S. history and no no possible end in sight. Just an endless occupation with rules of combat that, that uh, tie the hands of our, our military people, uh, conflict them between civilians. They're, they're conflicted in a war where they're trying to win hearts and minds and yet defend their own lives and, and aggressively pursue a, an enemy that blends into the population. It's a it's a no win situation over there in Afghanistan, but Amen. aside from that, and it's an endless occupation in in Iraq where we're really not wanted. But it's mm-hmm. it's an ironic thing that when we change the name from the Department of War to the Department of Defense, it was actually <laughs> kind of a kind of a sick Backward. joke. Wow, it was mm-hmm. kind of a sick joke because now we don't fight for defense; we actually pursue. Uh, you know, kind of endless military police occupation actions, and we're not actually pursuing the defense of our country. You're absolutely right. Uh, and when you stop to look at where we have been involved in combat, uh, you know, that becomes increasingly clear. We did Vietnam, uh, and then uh, after Vietnam, we did a Lebanon peacekeeping mission, allegedly, 1982 to 84. We invaded Grenada as part of Operation Urgent Fury, uh, and uh, we invaded Panama to oust uh, Manuel Noriega. We put 2.2 million soldiers in the Gulf War. Uh, then we got involved in a so-called peacekeeping mission in Somalia. Um, we were sent to Macedonia, Haiti, Bosnia for Operation Deliberate Force, uh, the Kosovo War in 1999. America, one of a number of NATO countries that bombed Yugoslavia. And then in 2001 came the War on Terrorism and the Operation Enduring Freedom, wars that continue to this day. Uh, and so we've got, we've had an, an unending stream uh, of non-defensive wars uh, ever, well, throughout my lifetime. Well, I, I that, that Afghan, well, I, I don't call it the Afghan war anymore. I call it the Great American Opium Production enhancement conflict, um, but nice. But uh, it seems to me that that we just—it's almost like like the culling of the buck. It, these these design uh, these wars are designed to spend lots of money and to cull certain segments of the American population. Oh, yeah, world population. I mean, yeah. you know, the million Afghans, a million Iraqis have died in, in in our conflict over there, and we really don't know what for. Well, um, sadly enough, Vinny, I mean, I appreciate your input, and uh, I wish I could continue with that, but we have to go to the break. So thanks for your input. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. Uh, folks, you're listening to Gesundheit with Jacobus with Eric Newhouse on the phone with us from Great Falls talking about PTSD. Stay tuned. We will be right back. You're listening to Gesundheit with Jacobus. 